Man, so excited to be here this morning and so excited to open this book with you. We're going to be in Luke 19. If you have your Bible, you can kind of go that direction. If you don't, I think uh, some of it or all of it or most of it will be up on the wall or none of it. It'll be some variation of. Um, but i um, so excited about this. The other day we started a series um, and it's called Who We Are. And really we're just talking about over the next couple of weeks and the past few weeks who we are as a church. And when I say church, what I don't mean this morning is like this building, uh, who we are as a building would be gray and black, all right, uh, and, and dark. Uh, we just like that kind of atmosphere in here. Uh, we would have a smoke machine, but um, maybe next week we got one. Um, that's not really important, is it? Like whether we choose to worship with all the lights on, like the dentist office feel, or we choose to worship with the lights off, like none of that actually is important today. And whether we choose to worship with the choir and the organ or whether we choose to worship with the band, none of that actually is important today. None of that is who defines us as a, as a people, maybe as a building. And there's all kinds of buildings, and I'll just be honest, uh, we love it this way, and if you don't, then go to another building. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's how we do things here. Um, but that's not really what's important this morning. Really what distinguishes us is who we are as a people. There are a lot of things we have in common, hopefully, with the churches around us. One is Jesus is the point. That's why we're here. If you don't know that already, we've already failed you. So we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about that this morning because hopefully the idea is it comes out in everything we do from the moment you walk in the door or pull in the parking lot to the moment you pull out. And if it, it doesn't, then maybe we need a comment box and you can drop that in there because that's what we're praying for and looking for. But more than that today, what defines us as this little tribe, as this little sea church that we are here in this place, um, we've been talking about these things the past few weeks, and the first was that we value service in this place. Like, we believe that God is for service, that he, he told his disciples to serve, and then through that, us to serve, and uh, that's something we value in this place. This is what we're seeking, not to be one of those churches, little sea, that 14% of the people serve, but we're one that like people walk in here and they're like, man, everybody's doing something. This is so weird. Amen. Thank you. Um, maybe it's just me. Maybe I need to go home and try again. Um, <laughs> that's something we value in this place. We value service in this place, and it's something we talked about. And something else we value in this place is worship. We just believe God's worthy of it. And I think you've already heard it in the prayer. It's not like a personality type or a, a thing that we do. It's just like seeing who he is and responding to who he is, right? Like if you're worshiping in your heart, eventually you'll tell your hands and your face, right? It's not one of those, I'm worshiping in my heart forever, but I look miserable and I'm just never happy about it. Well, then you are miserable. And it's called negativity and it's ruling over your life and it's keeping you from seeing him because that breaks when you see him. But something we're going to talk about this morning that we also believe in in this house is generosity. We believe God's people are generous people. And we kind of have this document, some of you have seen it, some of you have not, that's called our culture statements, and it kind of guides kind of the DNA of the house. Um, and, and one of those statements is about generosity, and here's what it says. It says, our God is not a taker, but a giver. Man, if we could get that right there, it would revolutionize the church. Our God is not a taker, but a giver. God can't take anything. He made everything, right? So everything's his in the first place. Our God's not a taker, but he's a giver. He made everything, and because of that, he also owns everything. Think about that. Because every resource we've ever been given first belonged to God, 
We believe Jesus is the most generous person that has ever walked on the planet. I believe that. It says God freely gave the most precious thing that he had as Jesus laid down his life to purchase our freedom. Knowing that, we can never outgive God. You just can't do it. We leverage our resources and our lives to make his name famous among the nations. That's, that's the heartbeat of generosity in this place. And some of you guys, you've went to places and they talked about generosity and the purpose behind that's maybe like a new building. We want a new building, but we're believing God for that and it's going to happen. It's maybe uh, to pay the lot bill. We're doing okay on the lot bill. Just want you to know we're going to add some more lots because we're doing so okay on the lot bill. But the heartbeat of generosity in the church has never been about how we can build our mansion of a church and decorate it. It's been about what God is going to do with the people of God. And, and I just want to be honest. I was thinking about this the other day. We teach generosity wrong in the church. I believe that. To the way we teach generosity, thank you for this. I think Jeff, Jeff was generous with me this morning and gave me $10, which I may or may not return after this is over. I love you. Um, the way we teach, I have 10, I just don't want to lie on numbers here in a minute. Generosity in the church is we, we say that if you take this dollar, right? Yes, dollar, thank you, response. Um, we take this dollar and we sow it into the kingdom of God that our genie God will take this dollar and he will multiply it and give us back 10, Right? That's the way we teach generosity in the church. If you, if you trust God with the little, God will give you more. And, and I believe God works that way. I'm not, I'm not knocking that, but I'm saying it's, it's a backwards view of generosity because the truth of it is I've got no dollars. I've got no dollars. I had to Literally, I had to borrow that from Jeff, and then figuratively, like, I don't have anything on my own. Can you make yourself get out of bed this morning? You can't do that. Can you make yourself breathe? Not if your body stops. Let's go deeper than that. Can you make your heart beat right now? See, the truth of it is I can focus enough maybe in my own willpower to get out of the bed, and I can focus enough maybe even, right, like I made myself breathe right then. It just naturally happens, but I can make it do it. But I cannot with every ounce of me make the heart beat. That's a muscle I cannot control, and if God wills for it to stop, it stops, right? If he wills for it to never start, it never starts. So if we just start at the basis of it, you didn't get here on your own, and you can't maintain life here on your own, then it kind of takes that in perspective to, hey, you know what, that job that you have, where'd that come from ultimately? You know, the thing that pays your bills, where'd that come from ultimately? That house you live in, where, where did that come from ultimately? The car you drove to get here, bicycle you rode, or legs you got here on, whatever it was for you, how did you get those things? See, all those things come from God. See, if you believe that God created everything, which we do in this place, I don't know what they teach in other places, but in this place, we believe that there is actually a man named God who spoke and all of creation leapt into existence. We believe that, and we believe it shows it right there in that book, and we believe it happened right in the way that it says it happened in that book. And if he did all those things, see, the reality of it is we got no dollars. We got no dollars. So anything that we have was first given to us by who? So the only reason I have $10 other than Jeff, but Jeff can't earn $10 without God, is God. 
And what that means in the generosity field of things, it's not something where I leverage the God lottery and think, well, I've got $10 to gamble. God, I'm going to put it in and hopefully you'll multiply and give it back. It recognizes I got no dollars. Every dollar I got first come from you. And that means, God, if you want $1 or $2 or $10, they're all yours. Because I believe the God that was generous enough to give the first time is generous enough to give over and over and over and over again. It's different. And we teach it backwards. See, the truth of it is, God was first generous, not us. And we have the ability in his generosity to be freed to generosity. You're like, well, Brad, that's great, but that's your opinion. No, it's not. It's the Bible. So let's look in Luke 19. Because if we can't find it in here, what's it matter, right? It's just some words on a page. Let's look at Luke 19 and just um, study this story of Jesus. I was praying um, coming up to this week, God, where in the Bible would you have me to teach on generosity? And I'll be honest, it talks about generosity in the Bible a lot because I'll be honest, naturally, we are not generous people. It's hard to trust God with a lot of things like our time, right? That's generosity, by the way, our time, giving that to God is generosity. I'll be honest, you don't have any time without God, so why not give it to him? Because he could just take everything, right? Our money, we're not good with generosity with money. We're not good with generosity with talent. So, so this morning, if you're like, man, I picked a bad Sunday to come, uh, maybe for you, you did. And, and through the Holy Spirit, man, I hope this morning it gets a lot easier to listen to. This morning, uh, as I was praying, God, where would you have me to teach? This story of Zacchaeus popped into my head, probably partially because I heard it last Sunday night at Wake. So, um, Wake kids, that's where you're supposed to go, woo, um, but don't worry about it now, it's too late. Um, But um, I heard this message on on Sunday night about Zacchaeus, and I was praying um, this week, God, who in the Bible were you generous to? And in turn, they responded with generosity, and Zacchaeus popped up in my head. So let's just start there in Luke 19 today. It says, He, being Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, if you remember last week, we were in Luke, I think, 17. You can even see it maybe in your Bible from here. And Jesus was traveling to where? Jerusalem. Jerusalem, thank you. Uh, He was traveling to Jerusalem. And he was going by way of the, this border of Galilee and Samaria. He came down the, to, to the border of Galilee and Samaria, Galilee in the northern region of Israel, Samaria, kind of in the uh, middle. And, and he traveled along the border where he would eventually cross over the border, go down the eastern side of the Jordan uh, River, and then cross back over into a city called Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, where he would be in probably about a week's time crucified. And you can even see in the same chapter we're living in right now, there's this thing called the triumphal entry, right? Maybe in the, in the next little bit of this chapter. And Jesus was on his way to the cross. He was on his way to be crucified. And as he was on his way there, he passed through this town of Jericho. It says in verse 2, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. So we see this character, Zacchaeus, enter the story man from Jericho who we don't get to know a whole lot about. We don't know his talents. We don't know uh, what he liked to do with his spare time. We don't really know his hair color or his eye color. But what we do know is he was a chief tax collector. That was his profession. 
Now, if you don't know much about tax collectors, I'll just fill you in. People felt about tax collectors in this day kind of like we feel about them today. Right? Anybody love the tax man? You're like, I just love giving my money to the government. It's actually sickening if you look at your paycheck kind of on that last little section of it. I think about a third of it gets sucked into some other thing, right? And some of that goes to the government and it goes everywhere else. But there's a lot of money that goes to the tax man, right? So we don't really probably love the tax man, but in Jerusalem it was even worse. See, these people were Jewish men who'd sold out to the Roman Empire. They had bought this profession or been given this profession, and and they were viewed as traitors or turncoats to their own people because what they would do is they would go and collect this money for the Roman Empire. They would go and, hey, you owe this much, and you owe this much, and you owe this much. But the kind of extra fun thing about their job was not only could they take the money that was owed to the Roman Empire, but they could take every other amount of money they could get from you. So if you owed $10, thank you, Jeff, uh, and I could get 20 from you, then I got to keep all the extra money for myself. So these people literally were people who made their living off of cheating other people. They're they're people that lived in their town, people that would have been their own people, their neighbors, by cheating their own people out of money. Can you imagine seeing this? Like you see these these men living these extravagant lifestyles. They are filthy, stinking rich. And you know every bit of that was money that was your money. They made their money extorting money from other people. So you're living the poor life, and you're over here like barely getting by, just trying to get some bread, trying to get enough to eat, and then you see this man who took your money out there living the high life. Not probably going to be your favorite person in town. And then we see not only that, but Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. He wasn't just a tax collector. He was a tax collector over tax collector. So it's not just him kind of out there doing the thing. He's got like a, a, a little army of other people out there taking money, and, and it funnels somehow up kind of to him. He's in charge of other tax collectors. So like not only are you frustrated because he's a tax collector, you're frustrated because he's the boss of other tax collectors. These men would have been viewed as outcasts to society. Nobody wanted to hang out with the tax collector. They would have been viewed as sinners. Actually, when Jesus uses um, parables, a lot of times he will talk to them and he will equate sinners with tax collectors because the people felt the burn every time that he would say these words, tax collector. They knew, man, that is somebody who would never be able to get to God. Look at what they've done to their own people. That's somebody who would never be able to, to enter the temple, to be clean, to, to turn their life around. That's somebody who's out of the picture. It says that there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. And then it says, and he was rich. In other words, he was good at his job. He was filthy, stinking rich because he took money from all of us. It says in three, he was trying to see Jesus trying to see who Jesus was. In other words, Jesus was coming through the town, just crossed over the Jordan, walking up into Jericho, and, and here's Zacchaeus, and he wants to see what the fuss is all about. He wants to see this man, Jesus. He's probably heard stories about Jesus, just like everybody else has heard stories about Jesus at this point in time. You don't walk around for three years healing people that have never walked and never seen and who were dead, and people don't tell stories about that. That's just not how that happens. It's amazing. Maybe we should hear that again. Rewind. You you don't walk around for three years. Just take that for a minute. 
I didn't even mean to say it, but it was good. We don't, we don't walk around for three years, and, and there's a guy healing people, raising people from the dead and touching people that have never seen, and, and they can see. You, you don't have a guy that can do that, and nobody hears the story about it. So here's Zacchaeus is, and he's heard stories of how Jesus has, has talked to people who are laying on the ground who've never walked before, and they, he says, get up, and then they do it. That's amazing, right? Still amazing, right? If we could go to the hospital today, and you could just follow Jesus around, and he just walked room to room, uh, you know, just don't have cancer anymore. Or, you know what, just, just get up out of that bed. I know that that's horrible, but we're done with that now. Your arms are back together. Your legs are back together. Just get up and go, right? Or, man, you're about to quit breathing. Just keep breathing and just get up out of that bed. That would be an amazing thing, right? And Jesus is just doing that all over the place. And people are talking about it. But see, I wonder if he has also heard a story about how Jesus calls fishermen and then hear this, tax collectors, to follow him. Remember, there's a man named Levi who was a tax collector. He was in a different city, and he had amassed a great fortune for himself, stealing money from people. And Jesus walked into the tax office one day, and he said, you know what, Levi, let's change your name to Matthew, and let's leave all this behind. Get up and follow me. And then Matthew did that for three years. Matthew's been following this man, Jesus, around. So Sim- or Simeon, that's not his name, Zacchaeus, has been told all the time, man, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. God would want nothing to do with you. There's no redemption for you. There's no chance for you. And then he hears, a story, but there's a man named Jesus who can heal people, who teaches like nobody's ever taught before, who can speak into places where there are dead people and raise them up to life. And, and, and there's a man named Matthew who used to be Levi. I remember him following him around. He invited a tax collector in to follow God. Isn't that weird? And here, this man who he's heard these stories about is coming, walking into town that day, and it says Zacchaeus wanted to see him. You don't hear stories about Jesus and just continue to not care. The reason people don't care is because people don't hear stories about Jesus. Your want to come to church is not actually good enough without a story of what Jesus has done in you, Right? Your, oh man, we sang this great song the other day. doesn't actually matter unless you tell me why it's a great song. See, it's not really inviting people. You don't have to do that. You just have to tell stories, and then people will seek out Jesus. It says he was trying to see who Jesus was, trying to get a better view, trying to see what all the fuss was about. But it says he was not able to because of the crowd. He couldn't get in there because of the crowd since he was a short man, right? There's a song. I don't know how to sing it, but Zacchaeus was a wee little man. We know Zacchaeus was probably not the tallest guy in the city. And as Jesus was coming into the city, Zacchaeus was not the only person who wanted to see Jesus. I kind of imagine it like this in my head. Jesus is coming in the city and people just start lining the streets and all of a sudden we have this Jesus parade and here comes Jesus and the disciples are probably there although we don't get to hear about them in the story and they're just marching through town and everybody's coming kind of and they're in the windows and they're down the street and here Zacchaeus is and he's like probably this tall in my head I don't know how tall he was but he's just a really little guy in my head and he's like running up and he's trying to squeeze into the crowd like about butt level you know trying to get under legs or in through legs it's probably not how tall he was but in my head it makes it entertaining and Zacchaeus is trying to get in there but here's the problem nobody likes Zacchaeus why would I let you know like it's courtesy if you're at a parade to let little kids or short people in front of you I know because I get to be in the front sometimes um and 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 people let you kind of swing around in the front 
uh, unless you're a tax collector who's taking money from my family and taking money from my neighbor, and, and I've been eating poor, and you live in this really nice house, in which case, just go find somewhere else, buddy, because I don't like you. So Zacchaeus is trying to get in to see Jesus, but he can't get in to see Jesus because people are standing in the way. I feel like there's probably a message in there somewhere. Um, he can't get in to see Jesus because people are standing in the way. But that apparently didn't deter him because he's heard stories of Jesus, it says. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree. Now, I don't know much about trees. I'm not like a tree guy. It's like, oh, that's a tree. It has leaves. That's another tree. It has different leaves. That's about all I know. But a sycamore tree, if you look it up, is, is, a, is a tree that gets to be about 30 or 40 feet tall, which seems like a really big tree, especially if you're a really short man. Uh, and it has low-lying branches or branches that are close to the ground. Luckily, these branches are big, thick branches that can support the weight of a person. So even a really little guy like Zacchaeus can climb up into the tree and then up as high as he wants to go because the branches are close together and they're thick branches. So he finds the sycamore tree and he climbs up into it. Now, I want you to imagine this. A grown man who probably has some vertical problems climbing up into a tree. Who climbs trees? Kids and me. Kids and me climb trees. And you have a little short man climbing a tree. A little short man who, by the way, people don't like climbing a tree. Now, if I go climb a tree, somebody in this room is going to make fun of me. I just want to put that there. You may like me. You may not like me. I'm probably not as short as Zacchaeus was. Uh, but you're going to make fun of me. Why are you in that tree, dummy? Get down. All right? Like that's going to happen. Now, imagine a guy that nobody likes who's already short, looks like a kid, climbing up into a tree. That's not going to be a good experience for him. I can already tell. Like, you're going to get made fun of for that. I'm not in the story. I don't know for sure. But I can just tell like that would not go well for Zacchaeus. At least maybe there would be this thing of, I don't know if this is going to go well for me. To me, it would be kind of a humbling event for a grown man who is short that nobody likes to climb up into a tree because somebody's going to make fun of him along the way. But apparently, he doesn't even care about that because he wants to see Jesus in such a way. He's like, I don't really care what people think. I'm going to get up in this tree because nobody's going to let me in. So because nobody will let me in, I'll find another way. So he climbs up this sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass by that way. Jesus was coming down the road, and he wanted to see Jesus in such a way that he's like, you know what, I'll just climb up in the tree. I'm not worried about it. Nobody's going to let me in. Nobody's going to let me see, so I'm, I'm just going to go up the tree. That rhymed. I didn't mean for it to. But he, but he decided he was going to go up in there to see Jesus. Let me just put this out here for you. He was not expecting anything other than what's this guy look like. Something amazing is about to happen, so I just want you to set up for that. He was not thinking ahead. I'm going to climb up in this tree, and then Jesus is going to look at me. I'm not even going to say anything. He's just going to notice me, and then he's going to ask me to come down, and then we're going to be best friends. We're going to go to the mall. Like, he was not thinking that. He was thinking, I want to see him, and people are in the way, so I'm going to make a way to see him. And the only way is to climb up in a tree, so he climbs up in the tree, and it says, when Jesus came to the place, I love this, so kind of hold on to that. What place? When Jesus came to the place where the big building was. It doesn't say that. 
When Jesus came to the place where everybody in town met together, it didn't say that. When Jesus came to the place where it had the most beautiful view of all the places in the city, it didn't say that, right? What place? What place? Can you find a place, like a specific place, a monument, a thing that says Jesus is coming to? Did Jesus come all this way to go and stand in front of a sycamore tree? No, I really doubt it. So what place? When Jesus came to the place, right, it's like this destiny kind of moment where he knew, like, I set my GPS for this moment, this little square of pavement. This is where I was headed. When I left Galilee, coming to Jerusalem, I knew on the stops would be this place. It's kind of got that feel of this is the whole point of his coming to this city. Wouldn't even come to Jericho except for this place. And it wasn't the like nicest restaurant. It wasn't the inn where he was going to spend the night. It was, it was something amazing. He came to the place where Zacchaeus was. And he looked up in the tree to see Zacchaeus. This to me is the most amazing part of this story. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die on the cross. You get that? Like the triumphal entry is in the same chapter as this. And it happened on, I guess, Sunday in the Passion Week cycle. And Thursday was the Last Supper. Friday was the crucifixion. We were just a few days away out from the cross. And Jesus is on his way to the cross. And he stops by a place 15 miles away from Jerusalem to meet with a guy named Zacchaeus. You're not with me. Who is Zacchaeus in the story? Is he the hero? Is he some guy that's going to help Jesus carry the cross up the hill? Is he going to become the newest disciple? Who, who is Zacchaeus? Is he some righteous moral man or some religious teacher? Is he going to pep talk Jesus as he goes towards the cross? Like who is Zacchaeus? And then you look and it's like Zacchaeus is a nobody. Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. He's the scum of the scum on the bottom of the scum. He's the guy probably in the town or in maybe even the area that everybody hates the most because not only is he a tax collector, that would have been bad enough. He's the chief tax collector. He's the least likely man that the Son of God would ever visit on planet Earth. You can just imagine somebody that's like a Jewish man or a woman reading this story and they get to that part and they're like, I have a problem with that. I have a problem with that. Um, Zacchaeus was a jerk. He took money from little old ladies and got rich off that. Yet this is the person and this is the place that Jesus had chose to travel all the way here on the way to the cross to meet with. Jesus, didn't you have better things to do, right? Like you were, you were about to die on the cross and you were about to save the whole world. You didn't have to stop by to see Zacchaeus. But I love this because Jesus wasn't too busy saving the whole world to, to, to step in to, to, a, to a place that he had designated to meet with Zacchaeus. I love it. Zacchaeus didn't pick this place. 
He wasn't like, you know what? Jesus sent me a letter and he said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to pass by this tree and you just climb up in the tree and we're going to do this thing. And I'm going to see you like in going into this story. Zacchaeus wasn't thinking I'm going to meet with Jesus today. We're going to be best friends. It's going to be amazing. He's going to ask me to come in, come into my house. It's, it's going to be a life-changing experience. He wasn't thinking that. He was thinking, I just want to catch a glimpse. I'm curious. I've heard stories. I just, I just want to see what everybody's talking about. And I, I can't seem to get through the crowd, so I'm going to go the extra mile, and I'm going to climb up in the tree. And then when he climbed up in the tree, um, Jesus knew exactly where he was. Who walks around looking in trees for people? I never do that. Every tree. I just wonder if there's a guy up there. I've just never thought of that. But here Jesus is, coming all this way, and Zacchaeus didn't make it happen. Zacchaeus was looking to see Jesus, but Jesus was looking for Zacchaeus. He didn't even know he needed an encounter with Jesus. He was just looking for a glimpse, and Jesus came all the way to Jericho to, to not just see him or catch a glimpse of him, but to meet with him. That's how it always works, by the way. It's never really us looking for him. It's always him looking for us, and we just get to be the beneficiary of that. If your story started with you looking for Jesus, then your story's jacked up. Because before we ever knew we were looking for Jesus, Jesus was coming to the place to meet with us. And I just want to say, I don't know what got you here this morning. It could have been curiosity or maybe one of them stories, but Jesus knew you were going to be here. Even if it's the thing you do every week, right? Jesus knew you were going to be here. Before you were ever looking for a glimpse of him, he come here to meet with you. So Jesus looks up in this tree and he says to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today I must stay at your house. <laughs> Zacchaeus, what are you doing in that tree, brother? Come down here because I'm coming to your house. Can you imagine hearing this? Here's Zacchaeus who has been told, you know what? God's done with you. You're, you're a traitor. You, you can't have any part of that. Like you, you don't have any, any room to be around God. Even, even God's people don't want anything to do with you. And then like God himself walks up and he looks in the street and he's like, hey, why don't you come down here because I'm coming to your house. You can almost hear the crowd gasp, right? Like you forget, like there's a parade of people around Jesus at this point in time, both sides of the street, and they know exactly who Zacchaeus is, and Zacchaeus knows exactly who Zacchaeus is, and Jesus knows exactly who Zac Zacchaeus is. And here in this moment anyway, he looks up in this tree, and he says, hey, you got to come down here because today I'm coming to your house. And you can hear the, <sighs> and sucked out of like Jericho. The people even start talking about it, right? And so Zacchaeus, he quickly came down and he welcomed him joyfully. He was blown away that Jesus would even talk to him. But it says in seven, all who saw it began to complain. Aren't these the people of God? These are like the most religious people on the planet. And God has a whole book about how he forgives and here Jesus is walking into the city and, and their hate for Zacchaeus is trying to overwhelm God's grace, right? God, you can't do that. 
You can't save him. Look at what he did. The guy's a jerk. Can't believe that. So these people start complaining, like loudly <laughs> complaining, not like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. Jesus, this guy is a sinner. He's a tax collector. He takes money from people. I know you're new to town. You just kind of rolled up in here, but he's the chief tax collector. You cannot go to his house. And Jesus doesn't care. That's what he came here for. And they started talking about Jesus. He's gone to lodge with sinful men. Look at him. He's associating with sinners. There Jesus is again, hanging out with those sinners. Can't believe him. Now you need to read the Bible. That's what he does all the time. People were always shocked by that. It's amazing because he didn't have anybody else, right? Like if he was going to come to the planet, he better hang out with sinners because he's not going to find anybody else. I don't know why we're continually amazed that God would save sinful people. Because, I mean, we made it here. And it says in 8, but... Zacchaeus stood there, like when you come out of the tree, they didn't even go to the house, right? There's not been a conversation that we know of. There's nothing recorded here where Jesus sprinkled the gospel out into this thing. This is, but Zacchaeus stood there and he said to him, Lord, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor. Now, Lord is a, is a title of significance. Lord is kind of saying master. It's this is what people would address as a king or queen at. It's a sign of submission. You are greater than I am, Lord. He says, Lord, I'll I'll give half my possessions to the poor. Hold on, brother. We haven't even began to speak the gospel yet. I haven't told you who I am, right? Like you'd imagine maybe something like that. He didn't need any of that. He'd heard stories, right, about how God was doing these things. And and it seemed to be through Jesus. And people were proclaiming this man as the Messiah. And by the way, he's got a tax collector in line with the guys he hangs out with for like three years following right behind. Matthew is in eyesight of Zacchaeus. He didn't need any of that stuff. He'd already heard all that stuff. So he comes down out of that tree, and he immediately is like, Lord, you know what? Uh, I'll give half my stuff to the poor. Just imagine that right now. I, I don't know what's in your bank account and, and what you got, but I mean, just whatever house you live in, just chop it in half, sell it, and give half of that to the poor, right? Your car, just sell that, give half of that to the poor, because that's what half of my possessions to the poor is. All my stuff, I just divide it down the middle. Half my clothes are out the door. Half my furniture's out the door. Half my appliances are out the door. You got like half a fridge now. Like all that stuff is gone. That's a big hit. I don't care how much money you got, right? You got $50 million, you got $50. That's, that's a lot to give away. Because whatever you had, now you got half of that. Doesn't matter what you started with, what you end with, it's, it's, it's a big hit. You got a dollar and you give half your dollar away, now you only got 50 cents, right? You're half of where you were. That's what he started with. And then it gets crazy, right? I'll give half my possessions to the poor. And then he goes again, Lord, this recognition of master, I'll give... Half my possessions to the poor, and then, Lord, if I have extorted anything. Hold on, brother. You're a chief tax collector. You extorted everything. <laughs> you didn't have no money, and now you got money. How'd you do that? You stole that. You extorted everything you own. <laughs> if I extorted anything from anyone, you extorted everything from everyone. That's how you work. I'll pay it back four times as much. 
four times as much. Just, let me just give you some math on this. The, the law says, right, the, the customary thing is that if I steal something, I give back that plus 20%. So if I had took $10 from Jeff, I don't have $2, so I'm just talking in theory. Uh, <laughs> if I had $10 that I took from somebody and I stole that, I'd have to attach another $2. That's 20%, right, if I'm doing math correctly. I'm not good at math, so check me later, I guess. But $2 back to that. And that's, that's what I would give. Twelve. I, I don't know if I did the math right. doesn't matter. Twelve. Okay, so let's just, let's just go with this for a minute. Four times as much would make, what, like 40 bucks? So, so the, the minimum, the thing, the max expectation, actually, the, the thing that's like, this will clear you, is I add two more dollars to this. But he says, man, I've been changed in such a way, I'll give back four times as much. If I've taken anything, I'm going to hand you back $40 instead of 12 Why would he do that? Because radical grace responds with radical generosity. That's how it works. See, Zacchaeus didn't just, man, you know what? Let me focus on that percentage. You said 10, right? So, no, I'm good. Or, man, I can't believe I'm going to give him my dang dollar right now. God loves a cheerful giver, so that's not worth anything, by the way. You just bless nobody. Um, but man, that's the percent, right? Ten, because that's what's expected. Now, that would make sense if you had received minimal grace. Right? Just what was expected. I'm a sinner. God saves. Hallelujah. Amen. But you received radical grace. See, the reality of it is, just like Zacchaeus, you were dead, you were hopeless, you had no way to God, you shouldn't have been there, you were the worst of the worst, you were the sinner among sinners in the town, and some of you guys are like, I'm not that bad. Yeah, you try to get to heaven on your own and see how that works out for you. Let me know in 60, 70 years, I'll be in heaven, so I don't know if you can get a message to me, but you let me know how that works out if you just try to get there on your own, because I'm just going to be honest with you, it doesn't work. It'd be something different, you know, if we were like almost into heaven and God was like, you know, like the line between a B and an A, whatever that point is. And then he was like, you know what, I'll just help you out. Just change. I'm going to round up. You got a 91, but now you got a 92. Hallelujah. Amen. Welcome to heaven, brother. Right? Like that would be minimal grace. I was, I was pretty decent. I was a good guy. I didn't really do anything that bad. Uh, I was almost into heaven, but Oh, man, I just I told that one lie that one time. So, God, if you could just drop my lowest grade and then round up, I'll be in heaven, brother. But that's not how it works. See, the reality of it is that's the crowd mentality, right? Like, I'm right here. Why are you not coming to my house, Jesus? Like, I'm right here. I'm good. I'm at church. I sit in a chair. I know the songs. I have my radio flipped to K-Love, so I hear the same five songs every hour. Like, that's me. I got the bumper sticker. I got the T-shirt. I'm in the crowd. The crowd is a bunch of people living in minimal grace who do not see who they are. And in response, we'll never see who he is. See, in reality, God didn't come to save anybody with minimal grace because there's nobody who can just round up into heaven. There's nobody with a grade that good. 
Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, right? Like maybe we're in the crowd today if we can't see that. Like you were dead, right? That's the Bible, Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and your sins. You were dead and you were so dead that you deserve death. I only told one lie. You were dead and you never would have made it to God. You know why? Because one little tick is a failing grade. Doesn't matter what, doesn't matter what it was, doesn't matter what the symptom was, doesn't matter what it looks like. God is perfect and you are not. See, the reality of it is you're not right under God or a little bit under God or kind of under God. You're like under the floor way down deep in there somewhere, and he's way up there somewhere, and you can't bridge that gulf. You can walk people across the street all you want. You can't bridge that gulf. You can come to church all you want. Who are you impressing? You can't bridge that gulf. You can know all the worship songs. You can't bridge that gulf. You were dead in your trespasses and your sin. God is clear about it. You were dead, and you earned every bit of it. You were headed towards hell. That's Bible. Ephesians 2, look it up. You were headed towards the wrath of God, eternal separation from God, and you were under the power of the devil, and there was nothing you could do about it. And then it steps in there, and it says, but God rounded you up because you weren't that bad. But God, he just, he, he, he dropped your lowest grade. It's not that bad. There's no minimal grace in there, right? It says, but God who is rich in mercy, who's, who's rich in forgiveness when he has the power to condemn is what that word means. He had the power to crush you and kill you and stamp you out and send you into wrath, but he chose not to because he was full of mercy and forgiveness and compassion, and he didn't have to be. And through his son, Jesus, look, here we are in the story. Through his son, Jesus made us alive. Reality through the death of his son, Jesus, he made us alive. See, the truth of it is, minimal grace is to deny what it cost God to save you. 